0: have your Bible, I want to encourage you today to turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is where we're going to be. If you did not bring your Bible today, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, That is a practice that we are seeking to live into as a family of faith. It's a a habit I've challenged you to develop in your life uh, this year, and and i got to tell you, it's so great each and every week to see more and more people who are engaging in that practice of bringing their Bible with them uh, to worship. If you did not bring your Bible, though, I want you to know that there is a brand new resource. Available for you Uh, in the seat in front of you. If you look in the back of that, you'll see these new blue Bibles. Uh, We put these in our sanctuary. 750 of these have been placed uh, throughout our sanctuary. Uh, We did that this week. Uh, They're the actual translation that we usually read from, Uh, they're new and they're large print. Uh, So if you need that in order to see that, you'll also uh, I'll also each week give you the page number uh, for our scripture from these Bibles. Uh, Page eight eighty three is where you're going to find Psalm forty six today in these blue Bibles. And if you're here today and you do not have a Bible, we would love to bless you with one. So if you'd stop by our connecting point uh, right after the service, we'd love to give that to you uh, as our gift. In just a minute, I want to reset for you the theme of this series. I want to talk a little bit about our focus for today, but the First thing I want to do is I want to read to you uh, from Psalm 46. So if you will open up your Bible, uh, either the one you brought or the one uh, that's in front of you, let's, uh, uh, let's look at this word from God. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now, some of you, if you were here last week, you know we started a brand new series called Declutter, and you know that as I started that series by saying that this is one of those uh, focuses that we don't really need to talk a lot about, you already know what we're talking about. You see that video, and I don't have to spend a lot of time talking about what we're, our theme is, because you know it, you feel it, you live it. This is your life, right? You know what chaos and confusion is, you know what busyness is, you know what it is to desire peace, how hard it is at times to make space in our cluttered and our chaotic world. But we said that the clutter and chaos that we really want to address in this series is not the same clutter that Real Simple Magazine or the Container Store wants to help you with, okay? They're great if you need some help bringing peace and harmony to your closet or your sock drawer, but that's not what this series is about, What this series is about is the clutter and chaos that we often feel in our souls. Here's a couple of thoughts just to reset from last week. We said first that our clutter problem is actually a soul problem. We experience it, we see it, we feel it when we think about what we see on our calendars or what we know is on our to-do list or the expectations that surround us. But those are actually a projection of what is happening in our souls. Our clutter problem is a soul problem. And we said that Jesus taught that life is lived from the inside out. Now we tend to think of life from the outside in. So we think that peace and harmony is something that's going to happen if everything else around us would just kind of calm down and not be so crazy. We had this idea that if we could just remove all these other things from our life, that peace and harmony would somehow come, but that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that life is actually lived from the inside out, that the quality, the vitality and the clarity of your life is not determined by what is happening around you or by what you may perceive as happening to you, but rather what is happening in you. I love what Pastor Johnny said last week. The real fruit of our lives is the result of what we cannot see. It's the result of what is happening within us in the depths of our souls. Because our clutter problem is a soul problem. And so that's what we've been looking at. That's a really quick summary of what I think is the most important message of this series. So if you missed that last week, I'd love for you to go back to our website. Uh, This is the short link for you to find that message. I'd love for you to listen to that because that really sets the tone and the theme for this entire series that our clutter problem is a soul problem. Now this morning we're going to talk about hurry. We're going to talk about living a, a hurried life. And to illustrate that, I, I, I had in my first draft of the sermon this kind of long story about this busy weekend that I had and how hurried I was, but it took too long. And so, in the in the, in the interest of not being hurried, I'm just going to skip to the point. Okay. And the point was to give you a definition for hurry. I want to make sure right off the top that you understand exactly what we're talking about. So let me offer this to you as a working definition of hurry. That hurry is when our awareness of what is happening in each moment of our life does not coincide with the actual living of that moment in our life. There is a disconnect between our awareness of what is happening and the actual living of of that moment in our life. Let me illustrate it for you this way. One of the things that I offer to couples in pre-marriage counseling is just a word of advice. I don't give a lot of advice because they don't think they need it anyway. So, But this is one of the things that I do tell them. I tell them, make sure you don't miss your wedding. Now, that's not about time. That's not about showing up on time, although we're, we're very careful about that, too. That's about attentiveness. That's about being present. That's a that's about in the midst of all the other things that are consuming your mind in that moment of details and plans and all this stuff that goes into the preparation for your wedding day. Make sure that you don't miss the promises that you are going to make that day because they're some of the most important words you will ever speak in your life. Now, here's what I want you to notice according to this definition, that hurriedness has very little to do with busyness, but it has everything to do with attentiveness. It has to do with our awareness of what is actually happening in each and every moment of our lives. Let me share with you this thought from Dallas Willard. He says that hurry is the great enemy of souls in our day. Being busy is mostly a condition of the outer world. It is having many things to do. Being hurried is a problem of the soul. It's being so preoccupied with myself and what I have to do that I'm no longer able to be fully present with God and fully present with you. James Bryan Smith was here last September for a conference. Here's what he said in the context of that event about hurry. Hurry is often driven by the false belief that our value comes from our achievements. We are driven by the idea that the more I do and accomplish, the more valuable I am. But in the process of pursuing that value, we lose our sense of margin, and when life is lived without margin, the three things that suffer the most, I want you to see this list, the three things that that, that suffer in this is our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and taking proper care of ourselves. Three things that are critical for your life are the things that are often lost when we live life in a hurried state. So with that introduction about what we're talking about today and what the theme is for today, I want to go back into Psalm 46 and I want us to look at how the scriptures speak to this posture that we often have towards life, this hurriedness uh, that we have and how God would invite us to live in a different way. The psalm begins with this, God is our refuge and our strength. We look to God for our strength, we look to God for our security, even though we live in a world, even though we live in a world where we cannot find that security. So it says, we live in a world where the earth gives way, the mountains fall, the waters roar, the mountains quake with their surging. This morning in the 815 service, when we got to the point where it said, though the waters roar, you could hear the roar of the rain, when we got to the point where it says the mountains quake, you could hear the quaking. You could, you could hear the thunder clapping. It's a, I didn't order this, but it's a great <laughs> reminder of the world in which we live. Perhaps you have noticed that you live in a world that is filled with unpredictability. And isn't that frustrating? I mean, isn't that stressful that we live in a world that constantly brings surprises into our life? And some of those are great. I mean, some of those are amazing. They're they're incredible blessings, but some of them aren't. Some of them are incredibly challenging things that come into our life that we do not expect. We live in a world that constantly reminds us of how vulnerable and powerless we sometimes are. But the psalmist says, even though we live in that world, even though we, we all share this human condition, we do have a strength that we can turn to. We do have a hope that we can turn to. And then look at verse 4. I want to show you this. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Mo- Most High dwells. And so you might ask, well, what, what is this river? What is What exactly is the psalmist talking about? There's something here that's, you have to understand the thinking of these ancient writers to understand what he is seeking to convey here. So there's a phrase in here, the city of God, that is also talked about as the holy place where the Most High dwells. You see this same phrase, the same idea, rendered in different ways as you read through the psalms and as you read through the Old Testament. Sometimes it's referred to as the city of God. Uh, Sometimes it's referred to as Zion. Maybe you've seen that word as you've read through the Psalms. Uh, Sometimes it's referred to the temple, uh, the place where the uh, most holy dwells. Sometimes it's simply referred to as Jerusalem. And here's what you need to know. They're all the same thing. They're all referring to the same thing. They are referring to a physical place a geographic center for the Israelite people that was known as Jerusalem, the place where there was a temple that they believed was the literal dwelling place of God. Now, let me show you one more thing. This is kind of a fun fact. Some of you have been to Jerusalem, and you may remember that there's no river in Jerusalem. Go back to the next, go, go back, go back. Verse 4, here we go. There's no river in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a mountain, it doesn't make sense for there to be a river there. So what does the psalmist mean by referring to the river whose streams make glad the city of God? Well, think about what it's like to live in an agrarian society. What does is, what is water represent? Water is life. So what is the psalmist saying? There is a life that brings life to the city of God. There is a presence that is there. This geographic center is not just a political center for the people. This is a center that has much higher authority. This is the place where God dwells. And so in the Psalms, when there is a celebration of Jerusalem or Zion or the city of God, something that is rendered in this way, here's what the psalmist is saying. We have a strength and we have a power that is present among us in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the reminder for us that God is here. God is here. We can look at the physical structure that is the temple and remind ourselves that God is here. We live in a world that reminds us that we are powerless. We live in a world that reminds us that that life is utterly unpredictable, but there is a power and there is a strength that is present here among us. This is how the, the early writers thought of Jerusalem. Now, some of you have read the rest of the story, and you know what happened to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would eventually fall, and so what is, what, how do we understand this as New Testament Christians? So go ahead and go to the next slide since they've already seen it. Christ is now our Jerusalem, That's how we might interpret that same verse, that we live in a world that's unpredictable, we live in a world that's filled with chaos, but we have a strength, we have a power, we have Christ who has come to give us a foundation on which to live our lives. And in the midst of hurry and busyness and all the things that, that take us off of our course, that, that disconnect us from a full awareness of what is happening in our life, there is an invitation to build your life on this foundation, on, the, on Christ who came to give his life for you and to set you free. Christ is now our Jerusalem. We have nothing to fear because Christ is here, because of what Christ has done for us. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Christ is our fortress. Christ is our strength. And then we get to verse 10. Verse 10 says this. He says, be still and know that I am God. Isn't that beautiful? How many of y'all have seen that on a bumper sticker? Or, or a coffee mug. It, this, is, this is the one verse of Psalm 46 that you know, right? I mean, you've heard that before. Maybe you've even offered that as a piece of advice to people in their life before. Maybe you just said, you know what? Just be still. I suggest you be still and know that, know that God is here. It's, it's a nice thing to say, right? That's probably how you've always thought about it over the course of your life. It's just this nice reminder in the Bible that you should find stillness and remember that God is God. But here's what I want you to notice in the context of Psalm 46 and the, the argument that is being made here by, by the writer of this psalm. Verse 10 is not a suggestion, verse 10 is not a eh, maybe try stillness. Verse 10 is a command. Verse 10 is an imperative, it's a declarative, it is you need to do this. It's a reminder that you have a foundation, that there is a God who lives among you. But it's almost as if verse 10 could be preceded by, if all else fails, just do this. In fact, the Hebrew here, the original language, it could also be translated as enough, meaning this is what you need to do. This is what you have to do. Be still and know that I am God. You know when you're driving, there are certain traffic signs that are just kind of suggestions? <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? I'm serious. Like there's some that are just, they're just nice suggestions for you. Like this curve, 55 recommended right I mean it's who has ever been pulled over for going more than than on the curve I mean that's just a rec- that is according to your car and the how old your tires are here's a speed you might think about right I mean it's just kind of a suggestion for you but there are other traffic signs that are not suggestions Right? And, and officers will remind you of this. There's a, there's a, there's a red octagon-shaped sign. Have you seen this driving around? Four letters, S-T-O-P, all caps. It's not a suggestion. Stop. It doesn't mean, there's a little driver's ed reminder here, it doesn't mean think about stopping. It doesn't mean Maybe slow down a little bit and look around. It means come to a. Com- Don't roll through the stop sign. Got a ticket for that when I was 16. You can't do that. It's about coming to a complete stop. It's a command. Stop. That's what verse 10 is in Psalm 46. It's in a, If all else fails. If you got. If you, if you find yourself. You just. You remember Christ. You remember what Christ has done for you. But you're still. You just need to stop. You have to stop to be still, to know that there is a God who is here and there is a God who loves you. Hurried people think that they are adding to their life when in fact they are missing the very thing that gives life. Hurried people think they are adding to their life when in fact they are missing the very thing that gives life. And when we find ourselves living in this way, you know what we need? We need to stop. We need to stop. We need someone to interrupt our lives and say, no more slowing down. No more rolling through this. You need to stop to be still and to remember that there is a God who loves you and you don't have to live this way. Hurried people are driven by the false belief that value comes from accomplishments, but when we are still, we are reminded that our value can only be found in one thing, it is found in Christ, and what Christ has done for us. I love this additional thought that James Bryan Smith shared with us last September. You cannot do anything important in your life in a hurry. You cannot love in a hurry. You cannot pray in a hurry. You cannot listen in a hurry. The things that are conducive to wellness of soul and depth of relationship are absolutely impossible in a condition of hurry. Hurry increases your anxiety. Hurry diminishes your capacity to love. Hurry is literally stealing life from you. Every single day. Now, as I thought about the end of this message and getting to this point, I thought, you know, no one out there is going to be thinking, David, eh, I disagree. I'm not on board with that. I love hurry. No one's thinking that, right? I mean, when I say that hurry is about the disconnect, you can remember the last time you were hurried. And you know, here's what I know that you know, you know that you are missing things. You know that you are missing things. You can think of, in in, in hindsight, you can look back on experiences in your life where you missed something, and it's already gone. You can can look back and think, man, that was was an incredible moment. I just missed it because I was just so busy. Maybe you can think back to a conversation with a loved one who was seeking to express to you their need, but you just missed it because you were too preoccupied with your own life and your own needs. Maybe you can think back to an opportunity you may have had to bless someone in your life, but you just missed it. You know what hurry costs you. The question is, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to live differently? Because Monday's coming. I mean, the alarm's going to go off and the, the thing's going to ding and you got the next thing to do and you got all the... It, it, what are you going to do? So I want to give to you today... A very simple exercise. Won't take you much time, but something I want to invite you to do in the coming days and weeks. I'd really love to challenge you to do this for the rest of the series. It's just two questions that I want to invite you to reflect on one at the beginning of your day and one at the end of your day to help you combat hurry in your life. Here's the first question In the morning, to take a few minutes, write this down, or just simply think about it. Ask yourself the question, what will I have the opportunity to enjoy doing today? Now, all of our lives are filled with things that we know we're not going to enjoy doing, right? I mean, everybody has things that you just, I just have to do that, okay? The garbage has to get to the curb. I don't look forward to that on a Friday morning. I don't wake up going, whoa! You got to do it. And our life is filled, but our life is also filled with things that we actually get to enjoy doing. And how many of us in the midst of our hurriedness miss the joy of those moments? And so this exercise is simply learning to anticipate blessings. So begin your day by asking the question, what will I have the opportunity to enjoy doing today? Will you have the chance to connect with someone, to, to share a lunch, or whatever it might be, to think through before the day begins, what will I actually get to enjoy doing today? I want to be ready for that. I want to be ready for that moment. And then at the end of the day, to simply ask yourself the question, where did I get to see God and God's beauty today? Where did I get to experience God today? in the course of my day now here's what will happen I guarantee you this as you go through this in the very beginning this next question the second question the thing you ask yourself at the the end of the day it's going to be a little bit frustrating for you because it's simply going to be a reminder to you of how hurried you are you're going to at the end of the day go wow I missed that I see it now but I missed it in in the moment that's okay this takes practice And as you practice it and you invest in this, you will get better at enjoying, experiencing, savoring God's grace and God's beauty in the actual moment as you train yourself to look for those moments in your life. Don't get to Tuesday and say, it didn't work. I tried it for a whole day and it didn't work. I want to encourage you to do this in the weeks ahead as we move through this series to begin to train your soul to rest to combat the hurry that is stealing your life so that you as people of faith can be fully present not only with God but with the people that God has called you to bless let's pray together Lord Jesus, we pray today that you would help us with our attentiveness and our awareness, Lord, to what you are doing in our life and what you are doing in the world around us. Lord, all of us know, all of us can, uh, can remember moments in our life where we have missed, we've missed things. We've missed needs. We've missed opportunities. We've missed blessings. And we recognize, Lord, that life is a, it's a fragile gift. It's, it's something that we want to savor. Our life with you and the life that we have the opportunity to share with others. And so bless us, Lord, with the ability to slow down, not, not slow down the world around us, but to slow down what is going on in us, that we may be uh, the people of faith that you have called us to be. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.